Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Rich Wagner. I'm with AT&T and I'm uh, one of the co-chairs of the Programs Committee. And on behalf of our chairman, Molly Elling, Ellingson of Herman Miller and my fellow co-chair, Rob Weatherall of Oracle, we'd like to thank you for being with us today. Uh, this is our last luncheon of 2016, so no luncheons in November or December, but we will be back here in January with our, uh, our usual economic outlook program, but we're making some uh, efforts to tweak it a bit to make it more interesting. So please watch um, our website and your email for announcements about our January program. And we're hard at work figuring out what the balance of our programs will be for the first quarter of 2017. Today's program is being podcast and will be posted on the Cornet website. If you have your MCR, you'll receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend. And there's a sign-up sheet at the check-in desk, so please uh, register there for that. As always, we encourage your feedback about our, our luncheon programs. So please take a few minutes to complete the surveys that will be distributed today during the question and answer period. Also, we're using Conference I.O. again today, so if you have questions, please use your smartphone to submit those. Molly will be monitoring the I.O. and we'll, uh, we'll pose those questions to our panel uh, during the question and answer period. So today's topic is what the tech. Chicago's technology companies face unique challenges in the way that they make real estate commitments, how they use their space for recruiting, attracting and retaining the best talent, and how they often develop co-working arrangements with similar tech firms as an incubator. Today, we'll learn how these exciting companies have mitigated risk in their real estate decisions as a startup in the unique ways which they have used their space for branded events, recruitment, cultivating their desired culture, and positively impacting the bottom line. So with that, I'd like to welcome to the stage our distinguished panel of speakers today. Uh, joining us are Aaron Dalek of Opera Native. Aaron is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Opter Native, an online exa eye exam that can be taken with a computer and a smartphone. Patients can take the eye exam from the comfort of their home and receive a physician-approved prescription. Aaron is a serial entrepreneur. He's start starting a consulting firm when he was only 14 years old. He loves building technologies that solve significant problems and make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Healy Lev of Gobi Inc. Healy is the executive vice president and owner of Gobi Inc., a commercial real estate technology company focused on energy, UBM, and sustainability, as well as CRE operations. Healy joined Gobi in 2012 to oversee the strategic account management and sales initially for the central region and eventually for the national and international expansion. Healy now oversees new verticals for Gobi, including retail, hospitality, multifamily, medical office, and helps REITs and private equity and other investors analyze their portfolio needs from in energy, cost savings, compliance, marketing, and corporate social responsibility standpoint. Thanks for joining us, Healy. Also with us is Kurt, Kurt Phillips of eShots. Kurt serves as the CEO and CFO for eShots and is responsible for the account management, operations, and finance functions within the organization. 
Kurt is a Chicago tech and tech-enabled services veteran, most recently serving as CFO of Hostway, of Hostway, a top provider of managed services related to cloud and application hosting solutions. Prior to Hostway, he was COO and CFO of ShopperTrack, the leader of Shopper Insights and Analytics to brick and mortar retailers around the world. And our moderator today is Dave McLaughlin of WeWork. Dave is, a, is the general manager for the Eastern United States and Canada for WeWork. Prior to joining WeWork, Dave was co-founder and CEO of video messaging startup vSnap, which was acquired by Gainsight. Previously, he was co-founder and VP business development for a mobile payment startup FigCard, which was acquired by PayPal. Dave is also an award-winning video maker. He is a graduate of Boston College and lives in Boston area with his wife and two sons. So please join me in a round of applause welcoming our panel. Thank you. All right. How's everybody? Good? Good. It's great to be here. It's like uh, being in the Midwest, everyone's so nice. It's always fun to do these things. So thank you for being so nice. Um, I'm going to tell you just a, a minute or two about WeWork, and then I'm going to ask everybody to tell you a little bit about their business, and, and you know, we'll see if we can stir the pot a little bit and have some fun. Um, WeWork is a platform for entrepreneurs, creators, businesses of all kinds. It's uh, a community, and part of how we create that community is with space. Part of it is how we staff and activate our space, and then part of it is how we use a digital layer to help people connect and collaborate at really, really high rates. When you come to a WeWork, you're going to notice that these are beautiful, light-filled spaces. You're going to notice there's an energy to it, and that's really important to what it is. In other words, it's not just kind of uh, you know, shared space. It's uh, executed in a way that really, really focuses on bringing people together and kind of creating a certain environment, a certain energy, a certain culture. Culture is something that we think about a lot. Uh, all of our agreements are flexible, month-to-month -month agreements. So you know, this could be one person sitting at an open space desk. It could be, uh, you know, 200 people in a private office within our space. And, and that's, uh, the range is actually even broader than that. If I think about some of the buildings that I oversee, uh, one of the ones in, in Boston where I live, in that one building are Liberty Mutual, IBM, Toyota, uh, you know, um, Silicon Valley Bank, Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, Red Bull, et cetera. So it's, it's not just kind of little startups and, and sort of, you know, hackers trying to figure out the next innovation, although they're definitely there too. And, and the cross-pollination between kind of those different types of companies across different verticals is, for me, uh, what's so interesting and exciting and invigorating about it. It's really like oxygen to kind of be around, especially given my background as a software entrepreneur. I just, I just love being around that. That's probably a good segue to... Um, to you know, asking people to introduce us because the fun of the panel for me, as much as I enjoy being with all of you, is really about you know people who are driving fast-growing businesses, and I want to hear from them, and I know you do too. So Aaron, maybe you can start and tell us a little bit about you and your company. Yeah. So Opternative is the first online eye exam. You can get a prescription with just using your computer and your smartphone. Uh, there's no camera required. Uh, I see a lot of you guys wearing glasses. Uh, out there, probably the rest of you are wearing contacts. Can we, can we, how many people need a new prescription right now? Okay, there you go. Uh, He's going to be a billionaire. Uh, yeah, go, go to alternative.com tonight. Uh, and uh, yeah. How long does it take? 
it, it takes about anywhere between 15 and 25 minutes to take the exam. Uh, no travel to the doctor's office, no appointments. And, uh, and you go through the exam. Uh, at the end of the exam, it's free to take. But then at the end, if you want a doctor to review it, it costs $40 for prescription for glasses or contacts, 60 for both. And uh, you usually get a prescription within 24 hours. You can use that at any retailer you choose. You can go to 1-800-CONTACTS. You can go to Warby Parker. You can go to your local retailer. So it's extremely easy to use. We have a ton of people using it, loving the experience. Um, so we've been working really hard at this for about four years now. We started out at Catapult, which I don't know how many of you guys are aware, similar kind of shared office space here in Chicago. Um, it was a really great space for us. It's a great community. Uh, sim similar to WeWork in that it's about community. It's not just about a, a shared office space. Um, it was a great place for us to start here in Chicago. And as we moved out of, uh, as we moved out of Catapult, we decided to move into the West Loop. And that was, that was an interesting story, because as we were moving out of Catapult, we were also working on raising another round of funding. And so we were, when we moved, we basically had no money in the, in the bank. Um, but I was literally, literally none. And I was personally guaranteeing this lease, which luckily was a, was a, a short, a short like year and two month lease, which is a sublease. So I was personally guaranteeing like $120,000 worth of lease liability, um, which I did not have personally <laughs> at, at the time. Uh, but uh, I was still doing it anyways because I really wanted to get this space. And luckily, we, we closed that financing about three days later. But for about three days, I was in trouble. <laughs> Can I ask some questions about that? So let's yeah. give people a little context. When did you start the company? So we started the company four years ago, actually uh, October of 2012. And how many people are you? We're 30 today. Wow. And 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 uh, how much? How many rounds have you been through now in terms of funding? So we've done our Series A uh, in February of this year, but we've done basically three. We did a seed round of funding, and then we did, you know, sort of bridge bridge to an A, and so a million dollar seed, two and a half million dollar kind of bridge to an A, and then an A. So about three rounds essentially. Got it. And when you say, I really wanted that space and I was willing to put uh, myself at risk that way for 72 hours, what is it about that space? Was it the location? Was it the design of the space? Was it, what was it that you thought was going to be so impactful for the business? Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great location. It was in the West Loop for us, which was, from a commute standpoint, it's not as ideal because we, all, we, were, in the, we were in River North at the time. But, I mean, it's... It's kind of this just up-and-coming area that everyone loves, great restaurants, uh, just a, a great place to be as, as from, a, from a startup perspective. Um, but the space, when you walk in, it's these really kind of high ceilings, open space. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have four bathrooms with showers in it that every, people are actually using. We have, we have uh we have this great rooftop deck that you look out and see this wide view, which we've had parties up there. I mean, How many people were you when you signed that? I think maybe only like 12 or 13. It was, yeah. it was, it was pretty, pretty, 
we've, we've doubled since we moved into that, that space. So it's pretty confident. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite a move on your part, right? It, it, was a, it was a nice move. It was also a really good deal, too, yeah. which I'm, a, I'm a big on getting a good deal. Um, I mean, it was really flexible space, right? We only had a sign for a year and a couple months, plus we got an extra year that we basically, the rent didn't go up. So it was, not, it was that flexibility, which is, you know, it's something that startups really appreciate, sure. right? And so, you know, really reasonable lease liability. It just, it just made it so that it was the right space, the right size, you know, the right price, and the right kind of risk profile for us. Tell us about, you know, do you see a connection when you have a really special space like that in what is an amazing neighborhood? Do you see a connection between that and the ability to attract and retain talent? Absolutely. I think that I think that it's when people come to our office space, they always like, "Wow, this is such a cool space." Was this an apartment? Because it actually kind of looks like an apartment. Uh, and but the, it, it feels like a it feels very home. It feels like a home, and we we have we have we cater lunches every every day, and so people come in and. We often bring employees in during the lunchtime period, and so I think people feel at home when they come yeah. when they come to the office, whether they're working here or potential employees. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's come back to some of that. Healy, you want to tell us about Gobi? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Healy Lab, EVP, part owner of Gobi. Um, spent my my background's in architecture. I spent the first ten years of my career at JLL in various facets of commercial real estate, and helped start up the sustainability practice over there before joining Gobi in. 2012. Um, so Gobi's been around since 2008, and we consider ourselves the Google Analytics of commercial real estate, if you will, through the lens of sustainability. So when you think of um, portfolios of buildings, it's easy to get your a grasp on one asset or two assets, but when you talk about a portfolio of 200 buildings, could be across multiple asset classes, industrial, medical office, commercial office, student housing. Um, the, the folks that sit in the in the office in the C-suite, they don't have much visibility into the actual properties as far as performance or what the assets are doing. And then from the investor standpoint, there's not a lot of visibility into the company um, as far as governance and ESG and social responsibility. So we're trying to be, um, through technology, um, create more visibility and um, and also reduce energy and, and um, excuse me, foster an environment of sustainable operations through our software. Got it. Yeah. And so uh, the company existed before you came, right? The company existed before I came. So my partners were the co-founders. Um, this is their second venture. So they had another venture. They came up through PwC and Ariba, so management strategy consulting and um, software. And they had another venture, sold it to a French company. So when they started this one, they thought they, they, they knew a little bit about what they were doing. So that was part of my leap of faith of leaving a Fortune 500 company to come to a eight-person company that was no name at the time because I, I kind of had faith that these guys knew what they were doing. And um, you guys are about 75 people? We're 78 people now. Uh, our new office will accommodate 100. So the, the timing of this panel is actually outstanding because we're in the heat um, of the thick of an office deal right now. So there's a lot of hot button issues that are fresh in mind. Happy to discuss today. So, so you know, here you are making a big decision about space. And uh, tell us, like, top three drivers of that space decision that you're making right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, the top, top drivers. So our lease isn't up for three more years where we're at now, but we're literally exploding out of the building. We're on three floors. It's extremely disruptive. Um, our poor office manager sitting over yonder is constantly trying to find a seat, shuffle people around, shove one more in. We're renting temporary space in our Can building. Can we have a hand for the office manager, Oh, please? she's the best. <laughs> 
the reason we live over over there. Um, but so we have so we have two half floors. Then we have um, also in an incubator space we rent to temporary rooms. So some of our folks are literally sitting in a around a table like that working all day. Um, so it's really the, the need for space. We can't grow anymore in our space. Um, we would literally rent space in the elevator if that was an option at this point. Um, you guys and, signed that lease when? Um, well, there are iterations of it. So we took a chunk, then we signed yeah. on another chunk and signed on another chunk. But um, the lease itself is only a couple years old, and there's a couple years so left like on it. So it's like a five-year commitment. There's like a five-year commitment, and, and there's yeah. like three, two to three left on it. Got yep. it. Got it. So um, and, and there's also you know there's something disruptive to the culture when you're on multiple floors like that as well. It's really you know you don't just even the, you know the water cooler talk or just there's a lot of people I don't see every day or I don't I see once every other week because they sit on a different floor and. Um, so we really want to break that down um, as well. Got it. Yeah. And so location-wise, I don't know how specific you do or don't want to talk about where you're, where you're planning to yeah. go. Yeah, we can. Can, can you um, talk at least in terms of broad location decision? Yeah, so we love where we're at now. We're at Wells and Wacker, so we get like all the benefits of River North, but very accessible to the loop um, right on the river. It's awesome. And I think it, our consideration for our new space was really around transportation. So a lot of folks take the Blue Line or um, end up at that Clark and Lake stop or the Merchandise Mart. And then we actually have a couple, so I'm one of the oldest people that works at Gobi, but we do have a couple that have made it out to the Burbs and their more mature lifestyles and take the Metra. So we consider them as well. So it's really about those transit hubs of how people are getting to work um, and not to be too disruptive to um, commute patterns. Got it. Yeah. Um, does anyone here have dogs in the yeah. office? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that was a consideration too. Our building now by chance allows dogs. I probably reap the benefits most of it. I bring my dog all the time. But um, in searching for office space in the loop this round, this iteration, even River North, there's like almost no one that allows dogs. It's really, really hard to find. And if you're looking at other attributes of the office space, allowing dogs is never your top criteria. Sure. So it tends to get pushed off. So most of the spaces that we're looking at now and the one that we're zeroing in on does not allow dogs. It, it is amazing how it brings the blood pressure down when you're in a stressful situation, when like a big lab comes trotting by. It's really you know? an amazing thing. I mean, yeah. it's been so great for our culture. People love it. They look forward to it. They take the dog for a walk. He, he'll lay down next to them. They, it, it's really an amazing thing for people um, to have the dog around. We so. have, uh, if there are dog lovers, you, you check out the hashtag dogs of WeWork. There are calendars. There are uh, oh, Twitter awesome. streams. <laughs> like, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Kurt, uh, jump in here. Tell us about, about you and about the business. Sure. Well, I think uh, uh, you heard enough about me. Um, but eShots was founded in 98 uh, when the internet was new and when the digital camera was new, hence the name of the company. What the company was doing was taking pictures for brands uh, at events. And they would basically say, you can see your picture with Michael Jordan in front of a, you know, of a Chevy Camaro um, on the internet. And that actually mattered back then to people. Um, so that was a way for brands to engage with consumers. Um, Fast forward, not many people care about a digital camera or having their face on the internet anymore, um, or at least not to have to pay for that or do that uh, okay. because of some demand. Um, but now we are the, um, uh, the leading B2C experiential data capture provider and analytics provider. So what we do is we deploy technology, that's hardware and software, and services that wrap around it um, at events for big brands. Uh, we're heavy in auto and financial services, so you'll see our technology deployed at auto shows, at concerts, at your local street festivals. You might see the State Farm tent somewhere. Um, that guy is likely using our technology to help capture information about you as a potential consumer and potential buyer of the services or products that they're consuming. 
because we've been in business for so long, we have tons of data that we can use to help advise our clients which events they should attend, which ones are better performing and which are uh, underperforming, using information from the other brands, not exposing the names of those, but allowing us to see opportunities where people may not be um, thinking they should invest in, um, in attending an event or uh, having a brand experience at an event to help them do better and uh, sell more of their own products. That's what eShots does. We too are in the middle of a real estate decision process. Uh, we're, in a, we're a growth stage company, I, I would say similar to, uh, similar to Gobi. And, uh, and we're, we're fighting with some of the challenges here. We don't allow dogs at the moment, maybe we should, I don't know if our building even does. Um, I'm wondering on the flip side of that, do people who are allergic to dogs actually opt out of the business because of that? I don't know. That's uh, an interesting thing I need to think about now. It's Thanks like a lot. one out of 100. Okay. One out of every okay. 100 doesn't right. like dogs. Okay, and all right. That's my scientific right. research. If you, okay. if you allowed okay. cats, you'd have a different problem. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, right, okay. And since um, I like dogs. And, and just give us a little more context in terms of uh, size of the company. Sure, so we're about 70 people nationwide. We do have uh, quite a few people in the Detroit area given our OEM focus on the, in the auto industry. Um, but then we have some other people kind of spattered throughout the company. Um, in part of town that you're in now? Yeah, we're, in, we're at Wacker and Wabash uh, right now and it's an okay location transportation wise. Half of our staff comes from the suburbs. So it is a little bit of a challenge for, the, for that team. We are looking to be a little more central. That does still matter. Uh, but we're becoming a more flexible workspace. So we don't have that many people in the office every single day. So we're shrinking the, our footprint as well. Um, at this moment in time. So those are some interesting things we're having to deal with culturally speaking. I heard some themes. I'm gonna tell you the themes I heard. Uh, one is that space is relevant for talent. Two is that, um, uh, you know, when, when technology companies sort of get that product market fit, they grow fast. And three is that um, while, they're, while they're growing fast, the world is changing fast because in 1998, people wanted their picture with a Camaro on the internet. So um, I, think, I think those are sort of the, the, the pieces here is like, you know, this is what's really hard. If, if you're building a, a technology company, the whole idea generally is that there's leverage in the product and that you're trying to get a hockey stick kind of a curve on the company. And, and if that's the case, um, you know, you're entering into real estate commitments and sometimes extending personal, uh, <laughs> you know, risk to, to, to um, design for something that's really hard to design for because you're showing your investors charts that are projecting a certain growth, but certainly you're not making real estate bets based on that growth. And how do you guys think about that? Like you have a vision of, what, of the growth you're trying to drive, and then presumably you take a little more conservative sort of position relative to how you think about space. On the other hand, you took a space that accommodates 30 when you were only 12, so that was pretty, you know, pretty confident. Like, how do you think about that balance of kind of confidence and uh, conservatism in terms of what you commit to? When it, I mean, when it, the, the choice for us was, it, the space we were talking about, that, that made a lot of sense because, I mean, it was a... It's a culture. A, it, well, it was, it was also a, you know, 18 and a half square, per square foot space where yeah. everything else we were looking at was, you know, 22, 24. So, Got I mean, like, 5,000 square feet. Like, it, it, we could have gotten something that was smaller, but it was been the same price. So, it was kind of one of, and it, just that deal specifically just made a lot of sense for us, and it worked out um, the way that we were, we were looking for. I think for us, going into this, this next kind of decision going into July, that's where we're going to have to make a decision of like we're 30 now, but 
you know, are we going to get to 40, 50, 60? You know, are we going to get to 78? Like, how do we make that decision if we have to make a three-year lease yeah. commitment, which is usually, like, and that's, that's going to be a hard decision. Um, and how, I, I don't how, have a good answer to that. It is a hard decision. How, how specifically do you think about um, a person and a location within the building, Aaron? Like, uh, you know, this idea of activity-based workspaces where maybe this table has a certain type of activity going and people sort of rotate in and out during the day versus that's always Fred's seat and that's always Sally's seat and that kind of thing. I mean, for us, we do have specific locations for, for, for everyone. There's two, there's two main conference rooms. There's an area where we do a lot of user testing. Um, and then there's a lot. There's some couches that people kind of go back and forth and just sit in on their on their own time when they want. I have a standing desk. I mean, I think for us, our space kind of defined how we had to how we had to do it. Uh, we didn't have as much because it's a very specifically designed space. It, yeah. There was it wasn't as open of a space as a lot of a lot of just like, here's a block of space, do what you want with it. So you found the space that felt like home and was a great financial deal in a great part of town, and then you sort of let how you use the space kind of, you know, draw out of that. Is yeah, that right? yeah. So there wasn't as much designing what we wanted from it because it was kind of broken up in, in its own. Because there's two floors and kind of we had to do what we could with it. What are the, uh, I, I want to ask um, other folks this question too, but before we move on, I just want to ask you, what are the... Um, where do you see the constraints? Like, where is it not working? Well, I mean, I think even though theoretically we should be able to have more people in 5,000 square feet, I think we're already, because of how it's broken up, I think we're already starting to see, you know, we only have two conference rooms, and so those are getting booked up real mm -hmm. fast, you know. I have a really loud voice. I mean, I could, I could blast this whole thing without a microphone easily, and so that, that that interrupts things when I'm on the phone, even in a you know a closet that we have for a phone room. And it, there's certain things that are starting to make it hard. Even though we have theoretically can add more desks, they're starting to make that space harder for us to live within. And the internet sucks, so we need to figure out how to deal deal with that. But yeah. is that a technical term? Yeah, yeah. The, technically the yeah, technically speaking. That's interesting. Healy, what's your, you know, what, do you guys have a number in terms of how you think about people per square foot or square feet per people or? Yeah, I mean, so going back to your original question, you said the word balance and I think that's exactly what it is because you want to be, you, you don't want to get into the same situation again where poor Mary Beth is playing musical people, but at the same time you want to be a good fiduciary, responsible person of your investor's money and not go blow it on some crazy office lease with slides going down and, you know, things like that. So it's, it's definitely balancing that. Um, and then you asked about constraints. Well, I was, I was also just asking about like what density do you feel like is the right density for you? And, uh, and, and then, you know, what are the trade-offs of that? Yeah, so we're pretty dense. Um, and I think, so one thing we found is that um, when we went to sublease our space because we're, we're at leaving before our lease is up, it was very attractive to folks like other tech firms that are growing and want to get a lot of people in a little space. So the density actually helped us offload our current space quicker than maybe we would have if it was configured differently. Um, and then, but, but I recently read an article about, you know, sometimes 
too much density is bad. It's bad for productivity. The acoustics are bad. It's noisy. And everybody thinks millennials want, you know, a ping pong table and open workspace. But some millennials just want a quiet place to work. Sure, yeah. They just want, you know, privacy and they want a place to make a phone call. There's always people in the hallways trying to make phone calls. So I think it's um, the pendulum has swung almost too far to this concept of open office, but as long as there's a kegerator over there, it's okay if you have this much space to work in because there's free beer, but it's there's more to it than, than that. Totally and, and we're trying to be yeah. um, cognizant of that in the new office and think of things like acoustics and privacy, but not give people you know 10 by 10 footprints or something. Do you have a notion sort of to, to take that a step further, do you have a notion of a ratio between you know de space that's dedicated to individuals and their desks and space that's dedicated as sort of you know, uh, or not dedicated, that's common shared space? Yeah, no, I think I thought about your example of Fred and Sally sitting in the seat, and I, I think we're still at, at that. I mean, definitely people use our break room for meetings or things like things can be reconfigured and moved or we'll have, you know, all hands meetings or that kind of thing, but pretty much it's still a person per desk. And I think people like that. They want their pictures at their desk. Sure. They want their things. They want to know that no one breathed on their phone, that that's their pen. I mean, there you know, there's things about having Are you having talking about a space. specific employee now? I mean, maybe, myself yeah. even, yeah. I don't really. But there's some sense of, is you know, this is my manager? spot. No, she's really flexible, yeah. People, um, people do like, I mean, people do like the, like people kind of fight over the couch, not fight, but like they look at the couch and they're like, when's the couch open? There's definitely those spaces that are, I mean, we only have a few of them, but I, I think that in our office, we're gonna have those spaces that are just open for that in the future. But it was funny, so we, we do Kaizen's, which are uh, every month we, uh, continuous improvement is, you know, is, is what it essentially stands for. And three months ago, it was, Hey, things are you know a little bit too noisy. We're getting interruptions, and then this last month it was it's too quiet in the main room. So you know, I I, I no think that yeah. So I think that you the, there is always this balance, right? Of of just trying to figure out what the right what the right strategy is. And part of it's variable relative to who's on the team, right? Like a certain personality can yep. really sort of shift the needs or, yeah. or which is, whatever. Which and is that's really actually true. something yeah. we're trying to accommodate in our new space. So our developers, for example, they're like, all we want is heads down, quiet space. Yep. All we want, please, just we want to code, we want to put our headphones on, we want to be alone. So they're getting a special corner and a different type of workstation that will accommodate that very request. So we are trying to have varying, um, even in the furniture, you know, different types that will accommodate the groups and their needs. Kurt, how are you guys um, thinking about technology factoring into your space? As you approach this big space decision, are you thinking about that? Like, I mean, I guess I mean hardware, but also I'm thinking about whether there's any sort of um, uh, social or digital piece that sort of fosters the morale that you want, anything like that? Um, from a tech perspective, actual like stuff that we would deploy for the organization, not a ton. I mean, we have a, our collaboration kind of online workspaces. We use Confluence a lot to, co to coordinate communication like that. Our biggest thing, so not a ton of that. Meeting rooms, basically putting a little screen up matters actually to say who has that. So if they're not in there right now, I can call them and say, can I take it? Yeah. Uh, right. So we're out of space, uh, just like uh, just like um, you are, um, and. We don't do we I, we don't have a mind for that uh, right now. I certainly don't. Uh, it could be that there could be a few things put in. What we do want to do is make sure that we are 
um, having an area of our business or somehow putting it into it, into the space, the stuff that we are doing for our clients so that we can go up, our employees can go up and interact with the technology that we actually deploy on site for our clients because not every employee is going to go to an event and experience the technology that we provide. They may be building it on the back end, but they may never see kind of how it all looks and feels at, uh, at the end of it all. Um, so we're trying to put that in. That's really our own, our own technology that we're talking about from that perspective. And, and the teams that are elsewhere, like you said, Detroit and some other places, how do they sort of interface with the kind of HQ space and the HQ-based yeah. team? Yeah, so phone calls, um, you know, conference calls with screen sharing. Um, that's, you know, we have those tools generally deployed already. Um, that's it. We don't do video conferencing much. Um, yeah. we, have, we have Skype, you know, that we can do video, but nobody does video. Um, so it's not something that we um, are too challenged with. Uh, we do have people coming in frequently, though. Like, we make sure that they're actually face-to-face, -face, in person, um, with the rest of our staff at least, uh, you know, every few weeks. Um, that's just an important element to collaboration. When you have to schedule a meeting to get on the phone with somebody who's off-site, um, it, it's just not going to be the natural collaboration you need. Um, so flexibility in the workspace um, is important to the company. It's grown that way. We've hired a lot of great people who had, who had a bigger need for some flexibility. Um, you know, they may have been um, new moms needed a little bit of flexibility, so we gave them that. Uh, and now we're at a place where most of our staff has some flexibility built into their schedule. They don't always have to be in the office. What that makes it feel like when they have dedicated desks is that the place is empty. Um, and that doesn't feel good for anybody. The energy is lower as a result of that. So we're going to condense. We're going to condense the space, not give dedicated desks to people who aren't going to be there in the office. Love to give those dedicated desks. We would love to have them there every single day of the week. But since they're not, uh, we need to raise the kind of energy level uh, yeah. through having those desks filled. A little bit of that compression sort of percolates everything more. Yeah. Speaking of that, like, um, uh, how do you guys think about sort of fun stuff? Like, you know... The cliche example is the foosball table or whatever, but, um, you know, start with you, Kurt. Like, to what sure. extent is that uh, feature of the workplace something that is just about, like, blowing off some steam? Yeah. So, uh, so we have a few things. We don't have a foosball table or a ping pong table. We have a beanbag game. That's easy because you can move it. Um, and because we're tight in space, we couldn't actually, you know, at one point there was a ping pong table. It's gone. Um, so... Um, it's somebody sitting at it now. Yeah, but yeah. we, you know, like like many companies, we, there's a committee that does fun events. So one of the things that we did recently was temporarily set up a mini golf course inside of the space, right? So every department had to build a little hole, a golf hole, and then we all played mini golf around the office. But then that went away. So it has to be temporary in nature. Um, we don't have a kegerator. Uh, we have beer in the fridge that nobody ever drinks. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's stuff that we you know. We know that there are people in the talent pool that are expecting a little bit more fun in the environment. Why do you think um, nobody drinks it? Um, probably because there's a bar in the, in, on the first floor of the basement, or yeah. the first floor of the building. Yeah. It's funny, That's like, like at WeWork, you know, every floor in every one of our 100 plus buildings is designed around a shared kitchen, and there's, there's coffee and fruit water and sort of locally sourced craft beer on tap. And people always say, oh my God, what's your, what are you spending on kegs? And people don't drink that much. Right. And, and I would say, you know, it's basically because it's a community of doers. Yep. You know, people are focused, and if you have a culture in your company, but then sometimes, uh, you know, you find out somebody's like, well, I didn't drink because I didn't see anybody else doing it. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a little bit of a social sure. stigma, social stigma sure. thing that, that has to be kind of unlocked to, yeah. to do that. Um, but we always say, you know, uh, if, if, if you're here, we'll, depending on the day that you're having in your business, we'll keep you caffeinated or hydrated or intoxicated and all right, right here. And uh, <laughs> that works. Yeah. Um, what about you guys, policy. Healy, in terms of fun stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, quite simply, we have a foosball table that gets used. I mean, people play, it's fun. In our new space, we're gonna have, um, probably add a ping pong table too, and it is nice to blow off steam, and I think people do take breaks and go back to work, and hopefully it's less of a distraction to have to go somewhere else and come back. Um, and our beer gets drank, so we hire fun people. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but <laughs> people drink our beers. So. What's the, um, what's the uh, sort of standard work day at your company? Are people there at eight or nine? Are they there until six or seven? Like, how's it go? I think it's more in the evenings. I mean, you'll have your early birds that like to come in early and leave early, but there's few and far between. I think most folks come in a little on the later side, but stay real late. Yeah. 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 How about you guys? Is it is it a sort of skew later rather than um, I mean, it depends. I mean, we, we, so our patient support team, we're open eight to eight. So it depends. I mean, th that's, that's just different. I mean, we have some people, including myself, who sometimes come in as early as eight. Um, but a lot of people, m more people come in closer between like the hours of 9.30, 10.30, but then stay later. Um, we have a kegerator. Uh, it gets drank. We, we, do, we do happy hours usually once a month ish and we we have a good time yeah um and so uh you know I th and then we we do catered lunches every day um which is something that not a lot of companies do in chicago yeah it's um and especially with who the the restaurants are around you that must be amazing. yeah well you know it's actually funny so in in the west loop the catered lunches kind of came out of it wasn't i wouldn't call it necessity but it was a situation where People were taking an hour for lunch because even though we're in the West Loop, it's still a good about a mile to most restaurants, a little under a mile. So it's 15 minutes each way. You sit down or you, you take out, you know, it's it's an hour, you know, to get lunch. Even if you if you go grab it and come back, it's still 30 minutes at least, 40 minutes at least. And so versus River North. And so what it, what was happening is people who wanted to just go get something and come back, it was taking them 30, 40 minutes. And so I, I just was like, well, look at the amount of time it takes them versus how, how valuable them coming in. And so we spend about $10 per person per lunch. And is that worth it for us to do that? And then you add to the fact that people aren't working from home as much. And we're having this just kind of, we feel like more like a family. We sit down and we kind of have family lunches and it really, it has made a huge difference from a culture perspective. I, I mean, we talk around, it's, and people take 20 minutes, 25 minutes for lunch. We see this at, we worked at, uh, you know, there's all this technology in the buildings and uh, it's important and stuff, but like ultimately if you want to create, catalyze, nurture community, nothing does it like food yeah. and, and a bit of alcohol. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So a number of, number of people who sent emails uh, that said working from home went down by like 90% once we started feeding people, so. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, Molly, are we, are you getting questions uh, texted to you? Should we? I have a couple. Okay. Um, okay, so these are from the audience. And um, the first one I have is, do you see a trend towards people in the office to build that culture. And I think we kind of just hit on it, but um, I'll read it. In the office to build the culture versus the working from home. So I know Aaron's got that story down. You bring food to build yeah. that culture. And I mean, the, the, the food also, like, we talk about the community, the culture a lot. It's, it's really important for us to, to do that. I mean, the food made, it, like, a huge difference. I mean, at, like... At the risk of, you know, sort of asking an obvious question, why? 
it, it was one of those things where it, it kind of was, it started, we had groceries before we did the catered lunches, but it was kind of getting tiresome. Like, I mean, uh, why do you talk about culture so oh, much? Oh, okay. Sorry, that's a good, better question. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's something that I know, this is my seventh company. I, I've done this and I've seen other companies that have grown much bigger than anything I've ever started. And in, in watching that, I knew that the, the good ones have always had great cultures and has, have always talked about it early on. And, and when I thought about you know, having a 500 person or a bit, you know, large company of my own, I always said, I want this to be the best place to work in Chicago and around, you know, around the country. And, and to do that, I knew that it would take me and Steve, my co-founder, uh, talking about culture from before we even hired our first employee. We did that and we've talked about it ever since. And so um, it's, it's been important to us and it's, it's been something that we just continually talk about and we have a cultural playbook and we just constantly are trying to improve. Drives talent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say our software is our product, but our culture is our asset. And that's how we attract people. That's how we retain people. That's who we are. And even our investors were like, obviously, we're investing in your product. But more importantly, we're investing, we're taking a gamble on your team and your people and what we've seen and the kind of culture you foster here. So it's really, it's an asset. It is. And so anything you can do to foster a cooler, more fun, better culture. I think people like to work from home. They like to have the option. I like to have the option, especially when there's a blizzard or I'm not feeling well. But I think it's not a replacement for a cool culture and you know, bonding with people at the office. And Kurt, you know, here you sit here as CFO and a COO. Presumably a lot of your thinking is about sort of dollars and cents. And, and how, do you, how do you quantify this conversation around culture perhaps relative to talent acquisition or retention, or how do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it matters a ton. Um, so, and I don't think that's, um, that's different than any other CFO would say, because talent is, for all of our companies, is definitely the most expensive thing we have, for sure. Probably by 10 times the next thing. Um, and when you have turnover, it's a problem because you have sometimes knowledge walking out the door. Uh, sometimes you have the pain of having to deal with that person leaving. Um, for the rest of the team that's there that then makes their work uh, less than uh, ideal. Um, and you have the cost of hiring, right? So you have to you know, recruit people and spend a lot of money on that, especially in the tech community. You have to spend a lot of money on recruiting to get good development talent in-house. Um, so it matters a ton. The cost of maintaining a culture uh, is well worth it, um, a ton. Uh, we don't do as many fun things, clearly, as you guys do. Um, but we do pay a ton of attention to, uh, to the culture. We have specific traits that we make sure we are always hiring for. Uh, we have this thing called H3S. Uh, it stands for uh, hungry, humble, helper, and smart. Uh, and those are the four traits we look for in every single employee that we have. And it works very well uh, for us maintaining the culture. Make sure we hire those kinds of people in, because when you get an asshole, into the mix, um, it's not going to work out very well, right? Uh, so we, we, we rate every single candidate on those things and how are they going to fit into our culture. So we do pay a ton of attention to it and spend a lot of money reviewing more and more candidates until we get those good fits. Um, we had so. an event uh, a week or two ago that we did with Spencer Stewart at our, our new building on Kinsey. And um, it was basically HR executives from lots and lots of big companies coming to talk about the connection between space and their talent acquisition goals. And you know, whatever, whatever sort of 
amount of time we spend thinking about that at a company that's 30 people or 70 people or whatever, like the amount of time and anxiety being spent on, on that problem and sort of understanding space as a lever on that problem at bigger companies, uh, you know, they struggle more with culture. Just as, as it grows, it's harder to, uh, to kind of, you know, keep it the way you want it and, and all that kind of stuff. I know, you know, we work, I joined the company not even two years ago. I think we were 400 people, we're 1,700 people now. Uh, and, and the amount of time and effort that we put into culture is, is I don't even know how to count it. You know, we have, uh, we actually take over a summer camp in the Adirondacks. It's sort of like meatballs meets millennials. And, and, uh, we, we have this sort of company wide retreat. We fly every employee from as far away as Hong Kong to New York and put them on buses up to the Adirondacks. And we have, uh, probably 1500 of our members come and, um, you know, the, the, the commitment around culture is just, we know it's sort of the game, you know? And, and, and because of what we do, we know how closely, uh, you know, how closely sort of space impacts that. Um, you have another one? Oh, sorry. sorry just yeah. one, one additional comment to make. You know, even though culture matters a ton, um, there is that conscious decision between spending a little more on space or hiring another person. Yeah. And that matters a lot to our teams, right? When, when they know they can have additional help so that they don't need to put in 12-hour days and it can be an 11-hour day, that matters. And they care about that and they want that help. Um, so it is a conscious decision and everybody's constrained for resources, whether you're a startup or a growth stage or, or you know, mm. huge company. I actually use that exact statement with the furniture folks. I'm like, look, nothing fancy, no bells and whistles. It needs to be a desk because, like, that finish or that feature is going to cost us a developer. Yeah, That's exactly. crazy. Yeah. That's not even a consideration. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Keep it simple. Another one from the crowd? Um, I don't have one in the I.O., but I will open it up early to the audience, and I can bring you a microphone if anybody has a question. While you're, while you're looking for questions, can I ask just like sort of show of hands, how many people here are brokers? And then how many people are real estate decision makers within companies? And then who are the other folks? <laughs> no, I don't mean that to be flip. I'm actually curious. Can you, can you speak to the composition of the crowd a little bit so we can... Sure, let me evaluate the crowd. No, we've got a mixture of uh, service providers. It ranges anywhere from, um, you know, project management, architects and designers, furniture vendors, furniture manufacturers, I'm sorry, JCs, um, the, whole, the whole gamut of the real estate process, I would say, in, in looking at these spaces. Excellent, excellent, thanks. Who has questions? Guys, come on. <laughs> it's going to hurt our feelings. Yes, thank you. Good. My name is Kate North. I'm a workplace strategist. And this question is going to you, Dave. And that is kind of thinking about place for different cycles of the business. And I love WeWork. I work there. I've always been a, a big fan of co-working especially as an independent entrepreneur. It just seems like that's a place where I go. I can connect in with others. And I've spent most of my time working with large organizations like AT&T and others that have always wanted to be able to have that vibe and that cool factor of co-working, especially as they think about those parts of their organizations that they really want to innovate. 
And I thought, if I were a betting girl, I would have said, okay, yes, these companies are going to allow for more of their employees to work in WeWork-type locations. And I've been stunned, you know, really, that it's not happening as fast. I saw an article recently that was like 2 to 4% of the market is really still around co-working. And I just wondered if you had any comments as to why. And yeah, I think you should place that bet, is, is what I think. Uh, I Good. Mean, you... you just might not have as much visibility into it. And, and our community in Chicago is still sort of pretty early. But if I, another city that I'm responsible for is Boston. And if I, I think about our building right by South Station, in that one building are GE, Liberty Mutual, IBM, Toyota, Dunkin' Donuts, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, you know, and, and if I, to take your question sort of one step further, if I told you kind of the personas that come through the door and make the decisions on that, there's basically you know, three sort of from the large enterprises, uh, there's kind of four different people who are making a decision to come to WeWork for four different reasons. One is, a, is an HR decision maker who is lying awake at night thinking about how he or she is going to be successful against goals on millennials, creatives, and engineers. And they know, especially if they're in the burbs, they know they need to be downtown. And, and this is just a turnkey way for them to, to you know, have space downtown to impact their recruiting goals and their retention goals. It's the easiest way for them to have space in a prime location. Uh, the second persona would be, uh, obviously, just a real estate you know, decision maker for the company. And oftentimes, that is a company that's in multiple cities. So we have a lot of these conversations going where someone says, look, I have a lease coming up in Detroit, and I have a lease coming up in San Diego, and I have another one coming up. And, we're thinking about shifting business units, so why don't you give me 100 seats in you know, San Diego, and I could use 50 in, in Chicago, somewhere in the South Loop. But, you know, those conversations happen a lot because it allows those players to uh, interact with one provider and solve problems at scale. And then another kind of buyer persona from the big, the big companies is a Skunk Works leader. So somebody who, like Liberty Mutual is a great example. Their world headquarters is about 1.3 miles from the building where they have 100 desks with us. And, and that's just, there's just an innovation leader who wants to be thinking about the next gen insurance and what that looks like and doesn't want to be mired in sort of the, the processes and the culture of the headquarters. And so they're over there, you know, with that number of people. And actually, they have a portion of their space that they're giving to free for startups that are incubating next gen insurance ideas so that they're getting really shoulder to shoulder with those people that are going to be the, the potential disruptors in their business. And, uh, and then the other one is just a business, a business unit leader who say, I, I want to test uh, the Midwest as a sales territory. Like, I don't want to sign a lease. I'm going to come to Chicago, and I'm going to put you know, 10 people in a WeWork and uh, validate that there's a market here. And then you know, over time, I'll think about what to do. The other big thing is, uh, you know, in the time that I've been there, we see the number where people start thinking about leaving going up and up and up. So whereas I think there used to be this mindset of like, well, I go to a co-working space while I'm trying to you know, prove that I'm a real company. And then when I'm a real company, I sign a lease, and I buy furniture, and I go to Comcast, and I you know, get uh, Poland Springs to deliver water, and all the other things that I do when I take on an office lease. Now um, you know, there's just a paradigm shift in how people think about real estate, or at least a subset of the market. And those people don't have this notion of, right, I'm going to graduate from here. They have this notion of, wait, I'm going to stay here and keep things on the OPEX side of my balance sheet instead of the CapEx. I'm going to maintain this flexibility. We heard a lot today about how hard it is to uh, predict growth, and, and so you wind up having a very inefficient configuration of your real estate instead of just paying for what you actually use, which is what we offer them. 
So there's, all those things are happening sort of at every size, at every level of the market. And, and it definitely is true in our business, and that's why I say, Kate, you should make that bet, is uh, the big companies are sort of recognizing the efficiencies and, and, and the impact on talent, for sure. You got one in the back there. Yeah, I'm just curious how you <clears throat> handle information security and uh, intellectual property security. For, for these guys? No. Oh, for, for you, Dave. Sure, yeah. your space. Um, the answer is however the member needs us to. So we have a baseline offering that people come in and plug into, just like you know any other sort of cloud offering. Uh, but if you're a Silicon Valley bank, obviously you have a completely different need, or if you're if you're uh, Liberty Mutual or whatever, and then we just have a, we have a IT services you know, team that sits on top of the basic offering and we customize the configuration for you. We've seen a tremendous uh, evo evolution in uh, workplace culture and, and design and configuration the last 30 years, whether it's collaborative, whether it's dedicated workspace, et cetera. What do, you, what do all of you see uh, occurring in the next five years, what do, you, what do you think is on the horizon in terms of uh, you know, structural workspace configuration, culture, et cetera? You want to take that? Yeah, I, think, I mean, I said something before. I think the pendulum's almost swung too far this way. So even, even just in, in my career, I remember when I first started a little over 10, 12 years ago, um, there was still very much like the dedicated offices. And well, I started in a corporate setting at Motorola, right? So people were a certain grade. They're like, I've been here for X number of years, and I'm this position. Therefore, I merit a 10 by 15 corner office. And it was all mm -hmm. very spelled out. And then there was this push even within organizations like that to try and be cool and have this totally flexible, unassigned workspace. But that was almost too much. And I, and I feel like that's where we're at now, where people think, like I said before, if there's beer and a foosball table, it's OK to have no privacy, horrible acoustics, noise, and a tiny workspace. But I think it has to be a balance. So I don't think anyone should have a 10 by 15 corner office, especially those are the folks that usually travel the most or take the most vacation. But I also don't think you should cram people in like hamsters and expect their wheels to turn and be efficient and productive when they have no room to, to, you know, to, to work and to work productively. So, let's see. Anyone else? Yeah. I guess the only thing that, that I might um, comment on is the need for more and more collaboration. Um, and that happens with the, you know, lowering the walls on cubes and uh, the benching stuff and then having those informal spaces or formal spaces, um, even if small phone rooms, just to get on the phone with the client. For, for us, and we're, you know, we're a tech and services company, we can never have enough of that happening. Uh, so the more and more we can encourage that, and maybe it's a foosball table and a kegerator that I need to think about. Um, but uh, that just, that's just something that I see a, a growing need for, not a shrinking one. I, I think my answer would be, in society, we've seen the unbundling of everything. You know, like, and, and the beauty of starting a business today, or running a business today, is that everything you used to have to make a full purchase of, you now make a fractional purchase of. So remember the day where like, you hired some salespeople and you leased company cars for them? Like, if that's not an Uber account now, I think you don't deserve to own a business. And, and so you know, it, this is just another unbundling, which is we always bought in a certain package. We thought of it in a certain way. And, and uh, you know, mobility and, and you know, computing power and, and sort of shifting social mores have allowed us to kind of think about it differently. And I think we're going to see more experimentation, to your point. It's not going to be a single 
you know, uh, monolithic solution of kind of open tables and white noise machines from the ceilings, what we've found is you got to have varied inventory because people aren't all the same and the needs of the developers are different than the needs of the marketing team and the sales team and so on and so on. So if you have that variation, you know, it can work. Yeah, and what we want as business owners, I mean, we want to maximize productivity. That's what we want. We want the, the maximum output per space, per square foot, and so it's just figuring out what that is. And maybe it's, you know, it's just figuring out what that balance is. And, and I also think it's important to understand your company's culture, right? I, I think we have different company cultures, right? Yeah. eShots is different than Opternative, and Opternative today at 30 employees is different than Opternative at 100, potentially. And I, I think that you have to understand what a group of people trying to be productive it wants and needs. And I, the way that I look at it, and I, I look at my employees and how they work, and you know, they go and find you know, three of them sitting on the couch when they all are actually sitting next to each other, right? But they're all sitting on the couch having a meeting, right? And they could sit in an empty conference room that is right there, but they chose. And so I, I think about our next office, and I'm like, okay, so clearly people do like having their own office, and they're okay in this space. But we also need to have some some nice areas that you know are shared, collaborative, you know, no ownership. And we we also need the areas where you can go, and you know, someone with a loud voice like me is you know not going to interrupt. And I think it's about figuring out those needs for your team because you're going to need more of certain things for a company like ours, but you might need less of things for a company that is more, you know, work from, you know, 50% of them work from home 30, you know, 60, 70% of the time or more. And so I think that it's just about refining that and really help understanding that dynamic is really going to ultimately define. Um, what's most appropriate. But I think what's really hard about that is like, you know, you have a business to run. Yeah. Like you have some other thing that has got to be the highest and best use of your time. For sure. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of nuance and experimentation that happens. Like my last company, I had 15 employees in about 3,000 square feet in downtown Boston. And, and like, man, you know, same thing. We built some phone booths and stuff, but just... I'm another loud voice person, and, and there was just a lot of friction. There was always a lot of friction, and I, I, for me, it was just such a, such a drag on my productivity to have to deal with the friction, you know? But see, for, I guess from my perspective, part of my job, and part of the job of, and this goes to the company culture and doing the Kaizens every month, part of my job and part of just building uh, structurally into the company a uh, mechanism where you can, you can tease out that friction and figure out what that friction is so that you can constantly improve and solve yeah. for that friction, right? Because we hear about those things. Like, what are the things, what are the friction points? Every month, we hear about those things and then we try to solve for those things. And I, and I think that, you know, that is part of my job and Steve's job is to identify those things. And yeah, you're not going to get it right exactly, but hopefully you start figuring that out, you learn from that, and then, you know, the next office, we're going to come up with something and then it's not going to be perfect. And then after three, four, or five Kaizens, you know, we'll have refined it enough where everyone's really productive like they are right now. Yeah, I'm interested to hear more about how you do Kaizens. Yeah, it's actually really simple. Happy face, medium face, sad face. Everyone puts, you know, the things that aren't happy. You go through each one of them and the things that aren't going well. Uh, you, you, t you talk through all of them. You go through the things that aren't going well. You prioritize them. 
and you at least try to solve the, the two worst, the two like, you know, highest priority ones, but you try to solve as many of them and you, you, uh, you go through and um, you basically identify people. The whole company people. is in this conversation? Yeah, I mean, 30 people you do yeah. it, but you can do it by teams yeah. if you're too big. That's interesting. Yeah. I think there was one more somewhere in, in here, yeah? Hi. Uh, in your explorations of culture, have each of you defined a higher purpose or a why? And if so, how does that uh, impact the culture and the space? Let's start. What? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, sure. I'll go. Um, yeah, so I mentioned those, those values that we have. Those values um, are, were chosen well before my time. Uh, but we're chosen in a way that uh, makes sure we're meeting our clients' needs and our employees' needs uh, as well as possible. And those, those needs, you know, had to be um, sort of discovered. Um, and they were basically, who do we want to be working with? What's going to make us want to come into this place and, or be remote and talk to these, uh, these people to do good things for our clients? Um, and uh, I think there were a series of, of things that they went through that eventually boiled down, you know, into a company that's 18 years old or... Uh, uh, yeah, 18 years old is has gone has had the time to go through that a few times, and they got to this resting place, and that's been good for us. But yeah, the higher purpose was really to make sure that we were forming uh, a bond with each other um, as employees um, in order to serve our clients and each other the best. That was us. Yeah, and I think for us, um, I mean, so I mentioned my partners, our co-founders. This was their second venture, so they came into it with the passion-based initiative being kind of the top priority. They're like, we want a passion-based business, something that we feel great about, being sustainability, reducing energy, saving the planet, that kind of thing. Um, and they started with that before they even thought of the business idea. And I think it definitely resonates. I mentioned I'm one of the oldest people that works at Gobi, so especially with the young folks, is like they feel like, and sometimes it's hard to see the connection in your day-to-day job, you know, you're there, you're face down, and you forget that processing this utility bill is actually saving the planet, kind of, if you extrapolate it. Um, but it's definitely a big part of, certainly, attraction, retention, culture. And then even just on those days, you know, everyone has those days where you're like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? And then you're like, I remember what we're doing. We're not just here to make money. We're, we're saving the earth or something. You know, you feel good about it. So it's important. Yeah, our, our mission has always been helping the world see and feel better. That's, that's been the focus. Creating the first online eye exam was how we've done that, and uh, we have our, our 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 core values, our four core values, up on our wall. It, it's it's something that you know is inherent in what we're doing. Um, so it really is it is part of who we are. As I said, you know, from our first employee before we even had our first employee, it was part of who we are. Uh, I, does it affect our space? You know, we 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 try to included in our space as much as possible. Um, we try to, you know, with the meals, the family, you know, feel, I think that it's important that you build a strong culture amongst the people you're working on, because if you don't have that, and that's where the Kaizen comes in, that's where, you know, building a strong team comes in, because if you're not doing that internally, then you're not gonna be able to be successful externally. So, I mean, that's, that's what we've been trying to do. So, for us, it's, uh, we have a real simple, you know, mission. Our, our view is that we're reinventing the way the world works, and 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 why? Because we want to give people a platform to make a life and not just a living. And and you know, we we have this mantra, sort of all of our shirts and everything are do what you love, and and you know, that's we, we're trying to give people a, a platform where they can 
act on that and, and you know, own that and live that. Um, and, and it, I mean, like an example of how it shapes sort of the rituals of the companies, we have uh, in our vocabulary something that we call TGIM, which is thank God it's Monday. Meaning like, if you're doing what you love, thank God it's Monday. And we have dinner every market in, you know, uh, in New York, we do it all together, but in the Chicago team will come together on Monday nights and have uh, dinner and they'll be on a Google Hangout with the rest of us in the region that I oversee and the Boston team will be having dinner together and the DC team and the Philly team and then we sort of connect all that via video and talk through some of the wins and some of the amazing kind of member experiences from the week and, and those sort of things. So um, I, I don't know how you'd do it without that, to be honest. I don't know how you'd work hard enough to win if you didn't plug into some deeper thing, you know? So I think we're at the end of our appointed time. Um, please thank our panel. If you're going to Philly, we will see you at the chapter reception on Sunday. If not, uh, at our holiday party in December.